Our world today seems wild and out of control. It seems almost impossible for ordinary people to make wise decisions that can keep them safe and healthy. Welcome to Words from the Wildwood. I am your host, Richard Stidham, and I hope to give you today a better understanding of what is really happening in the world around you and how you can hear God's voice over the noise of the world around us. Let's go today to our new segment. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our study in the book of Revelation. I'm excited to get tonight to Revelation chapter 6. This is where things get really interesting. Quick review of chapter 5. Now, a title scroll to all of creation has been presented. That scroll is sealed with seven seals, and there is disturbance in heaven. No one seems to be able to be worthy or entitled to come forward, take this scroll, open it, and read the vital things written within. Then at the very end of chapter 5, the Lamb of God, looking as one who has been slain, steps forward and receives that scroll. So all anticipation has come to right here, Revelation chapter 6. As the Lamb steps forward to open the scroll, what is written in that scroll will begin to come to pass. And what comes to pass is the beginning of the tribulation. We know the tribulation is the seven-year period of time between the rapture of the church, the removing of the church from the earth, and the 1,000-year reign of Christ. So what we're about to see tonight here in Revelation chapter 6 can be thought of as a play. Now, the events of this time period start and they all occur at the same time. Many people read chapter 6 and they assume that one thing happens and then another thing happens and then another thing happens. But we're going to see here, focusing on this today, that what happens begins to happen all at the same time because these events are going to be interconnected. Let's dive right into it tonight. We are in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to look at the very first act of this time of the tribulation. Revelation 6, 1, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there was a white horse. The horseman on it had a bow, a crown was given to him, and he went out as a victor to conquer. Now, we've talked about this before in the past. This person on the horse, a white horse, was usually reserved for a general or a conqueror. It showed nobility. It showed power. It showed authority. And this one comes carrying a bow. But this is not a military bow. This is not a weapon of war. This is a weapon of diplomacy. You remember back in the book of Genesis when God had finished with the flood and Noah and his family came out of the ark, he, they saw in the heavens there a rainbow. They saw God's covenant. And they said, God said, every time you see this, you're going to know that I will never again destroy the earth by water. That covenant was renewed every time they could see it. 
the meteorological conditions which caused this bow to appear where it had never appeared in the past had to do with all the changes that the earth had undergone. But the bow remains a symbol of a covenant. So what we see right here is the rider on this horse, this one who comes forward, is going to come forth and he's going to conquer, but he's not going to do it through armies, not through weapons of mass destruction. He's going to do it through diplomacy. Now I want you to understand, this is the first horseman. But all of the horsemen enter the scene of history together because their activities are interconnected. Let's move on to the second horseman or the second act. We're in verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its horseman was empowered to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another, and a large sword was given to him. We know that this horseman represents war. This horseman represents the complete collapse of peace on the earth. If you look around our world today, you can see no end of conflict and war and fighting and struggle but this will be something that we haven't ever seen more than world war one more than world war two remember the entire church the body of christ's people has been removed from the earth and you can't take away that many people without unnerving everyone that is left you can only see here that something happens that triggers a major global cataclysm, a, a big fight, a giant war. And this horseman represents that war riding out over the earth. Now notice, this conqueror, this one in the white horse has ridden out with them. So this horseman, this diplomat will be present and it will be this act of war which will bring him onto the world stage. So they ride together because their work is connected. The, the, the horseman who brings war will set the stage to bring the horseman who brings peace. But what else comes with this second one? What else is attached to the second act? Well, it's the third act. Take a look at verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a black horse. The horseman on it had a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard someone, like a voice, among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. But do not harm the olive oil and the wine. This is a very critical forecast. This is a very critical look at something that is going to be coming onto the world stage. We have this black horse. The horseman has a set of scales. So there's going to be a major upset in the global economy. Something that's going to change the price of food. This basically says this. It says a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now wheat was the preferred grain of the day. A denarius was basically one day's wage. So it takes a full day's wage just to buy a small amount of wheat. Now you notice though three quarts of barley are the same denarius. In the, in the early Roman Empire, in the early days of Judaism, the wheat was always preferable to the barley because of its texture, because of its flavor, etc. So you got the superior one quart for a denarius or a day's wage. You got three quarts of barley, the inferior, for that same denarius. 
But here comes a caution, and I want you to pay attention, church. Pay attention to what this says. Remember, we're not going to be here. So those who are left behind may not get the picture. Do not harm the olive oil and the wine. Why? Because olive oil and wine are two very necessary items if you're going to restore the worship of Yahweh to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. We know that in the last days, the great temple will be rebuilt, and it will be the scene of much conflict. It will be the scene of much drama, but you cannot begin again to have worship without the wine and without the olive oil. If you go to Jerusalem today, there are those who will tell you every item, every brass item needed to begin the worship of God again in a new temple when it's built. All of those items have been replaced, have been redone, have been remade. Everything except the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant has disappeared and there are many theories as to where it is. It doesn't matter. The Bible says very clearly in the last days you will not ask for the Ark of the Covenant because we no longer need it to reestablish that communication with God. You won't even try to remake it. So it's possible that the Ark has been destroyed. Although there are many in Jerusalem, many rabbis, who insist that they have seen it in Jeremiah's grotto. They insist that it is there under the protection of the Israeli army and that when the time is right, when the temple is rebuilt, when they are ready to begin the worship of Yahweh God again, they will bring it from its hiding place. And once again, the worship of God will begin on the temple mount in Jerusalem. That is why this, this line is here. Do not harm the olive oil or the wine. So it's giving us a look ahead that something's going to happen that is pivotal to the olive oil and the wine. So what do we have basically happening? Think about this. We have a political strategist. He has gone out. Now, if he's going to make his move on the world, if he's going to make his appearance, he needs a reason to appear. And then you have the second horseman. That is war. War comes out. And what happens when you have war? What happens when you have destruction? Basically, then you have famine. Famine always follows war because fields are destroyed, farmers are destroyed, uh, triumphant armies steal what they need to continue to go forward. So these items are all connected, the politician and the war and famine. Let's go on to the fourth act of our little play here. Verse 7 says this, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. The horseman on it was named Death. And Hades was following after him. Authority was given to him over one-fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, and by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. Now what's interesting about this pale green horse the, um, the reference actually in Greek is to a gangrene green. Gangrene being a terrible disease that rots the flesh, necrotizes everything, it destroys it. And so this sickly or gangrene colored horse represents exactly that plague. The plague that is going to follow. Because every time you have war, you have famine. When you have famine, you have disease that spreads and kills. So Death and Hades are, are coming on the earth, and the one who rides the horse is given an authority over a quarter of the earth. Now, 
many people believe that one quarter of the earth will die. If you think about it, that's two billion people by our count today. Two billion people to die. But there's also another way to look at this. That this rider on the horse is given an authority over only one quarter of the earth. Only one quarter of the population, only the two billion, are under the authority and power of this rider on the horse. Now, what does that mean for us? Oftentimes, people look at and they go, how could God do this? How could God be so cruel? How could God slaughter two billion people? Remember, people, remember, the church has already been gone. The time of the Gentiles has passed. What happens now on the earth is because this is what man wanted. Man wanted a world without God, without God's authority, without God's presence or love or rules or restrictions. So basically, the whole earth had invited this on itself, but now it puts it at only one quarter of the earth. We've seen times when even more could have been killed, even more people could have been wiped out, but God's going to limit it because of his grace and mercy. Remember, one of the purposes, but the purpose of the tribulation is to awaken Israel to what she has forgotten, to awaken Israel to the presence of Jesus Christ, to his authority as Messiah, to remind them of the God that they have left behind. I have heard that as much as 75 or 80% of people living in Israel today are what we would call secular Jews. They are Jews by heritage, by, by nationality, but not by faith in Yahweh. They are no longer practicing, if we can use that word, practicing Jews because they don't keep any of the covenants. They don't keep the holidays. They don't keep anything of a deeply significant spiritual uh, value. I do not know that for a fact. I simply say that I have heard that Israel is mostly a secular state. In much the same way that people say, oh, America is a Christian nation. No, it's not. People are Christians. A nation, a body of people cannot be Christian. You're not a Christian because you're born here or because you live here. You are a Christian because you give your life to Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. The tribulation happens because after God has shown his mercy to the Gentiles, after he has reached out to us, given us our full measure of time, now he's going to turn his attention back to the seed of Abraham, to those who come from that holy line, the line of the priest, the line of David, and he is going to give them that chance to return to their first love. And that's what it's all about. It's about getting people to return. And I'll tell you something. Death, destruction, devastation, disease, all of these things make us question what's really important in life. Wealth, power, success, uh, living in a fine house, having all these things. Is that really what makes you happy? Is that really what fulfills your life? I hope it doesn't. Because all these things are transitory. All these things are temporary. They only last for a short time. But that renewed relationship with the God who is your creator and redeemer, that's the last couple sermons, that relationship is what really, really counts. So now we have seen the ride of the four horsemen. Why together? Because they are all connected. 
They all feed into each other. They all happen at the same time. As soon as war happens, there is going to be famine. As soon as there is famine, there is disease. And out of that tumult, out of that chaos, will rise the right wider, will, will rise that person who is going to bring that peace, that covenant that will try to bring the world back together, but instead will actually bring it into slavery. So let's move on. What is the fifth act of our plate tonight? We are in verse 9. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the people slaughtered because of God's word and the testimony they had. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? By that, by the way, that phrase, those who live on the earth, can be called the earth dwellers, those whose minds are here, those whose bodies and attention is only on this life. Verse 11. So a white robe was given to them, each of them, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow slaves and their brothers who are going to be killed just as they had been killed. Wow, we see so much happening right here. So we have this fifth seal being opened, and it says under the altar. Now what does that mean? How does that relate? If you look in Exodus 29, 11 through 12, it says this about sacrifices. Then you shall kill the bull before Yahweh at the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is when the tabernacle still stood. And shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. So dipping your blood, your finger in the blood, marking it on the horns of the altar. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. This is how a sacrifice was made. These who died were sacrificed. It's verse 9 says, because of God's word and the testimony that they had. They were sacrificed just like this bull. They were, they were allowed to die because they kept bearing the name of Christ. And they are crying out for revenge. Lord, we have been slaughtered because of you. We have been killed because of your name. Lord, how long until you make this right? And there's a lot of people out there who cry out when they see all the injustice in the world, all the things that are happening, all the tyrants who are usurping the earth, and they want that revenge. But it's not time. He says, rest a little while longer until the number would be complete, until the last martyr has been slaughtered, until the last soul that can be saved has been saved. Then, then God will bring his retribution on those who've done this. If you think about it this way, Revelation 1.9, we just read this a few weeks ago. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John himself is on this island of exile, is on this punishment isle, because he would not stop talking about Jesus. And he says this is going to continue. People are going to keep testifying, and they're going to keep being persecuted. It says these whose blood is under the altar, just as the sacrifice has been put. This may not just be people who died in the tribulation. It may not just be those who come at that day. This could be every Christian, all the way from Stephen, all the way through this day and to that day, whose blood will cry out for revenge, who will cry out for justice. 
but God will be patient, letting the very last act happen before he begins to close it all down. And that's what should be good for us. We know that God will bring about the end at the right time, at the appointed time, when it's the proper time, not when our anger overflows. And if we seem to have to go through things, if we seem to endure things, that's okay because God is with us in the midst of that. And one day, one day, that justice will come. Until then, he says, here's the white robe that represents you've been cleansed from your sins by my blood. Wear this robe of righteousness and be at peace until I tell you it's the time to finish this all up. All right, let's close out our study tonight by looking at the sixth act in this little play. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat's hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs and then when they are shaken by a high wind. And the sky separated like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles and the military commanders, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, they cried out, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath, their wrath, has come. And who is able to stand? Wow, this is a, an incredible picture. You've had God's saints crying out, saying, Lord, we're suffering, we're dying, we're being slaughtered. When are you going to make this right? But here's the other side of the picture. Here's what happens when God really does bring judgment. Then the whole world will suffer. The whole world will go through what's going to happen in these seven years before the thousand-year reign of Christ. This all goes back to the Old Testament, to the book of Joel. You may never have been in the book of Joel, but flip over there right now. Book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 31. I know that you're going to know these words. You're going to know this. But many people have only read the opening, they've never read the close. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome, the word awesome there means terrible or terrifying, the great and terrifying day of Yahweh's coming. So right there in Joel, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They will speak the truth. They will tell others what's going to happen before this great and terrible day. But then you will see this effect in the world. We're, we watch the heavens now through the James Webb telescope, and we're seeing amazing things. We're seeing just how grand and how glorious God's creation really is. But we're going to see other things, terrifying things, scary things happening in the last days. Earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. Now, I can look around the world today, sitting right here in 2023, and I can see darkness, blood, fire, columns of smoke happening in our world 
these signs are beginning to appear. And they're all happening for one reason, to warn people that the day of God's judgment is coming. The day of that great tribulation is coming. And here it actually calls it the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. The word wrath is important. The word wrath means anger and judgment stored up. It means that when something happens, when someone does evil, the judgment doesn't come right now. It is stored up. When someone commits an evil thing, speaks evil, spreads lies, it is stored up. But when that is stored up only so high, then you will see it lashing out, that judgment, that, that making things right, that wrath is poured out, and it will be great, and it will be terrible. So, verse 17, because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Who can withstand the day when God finally lets go on the people of the earth? Consider Isaiah 2, 17 through 19. And the haughtiness of men shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and Yahweh alone will be exalted in that day. No more false gods, no more evolution, no more talk of uh, you know, all these gods are the same thing, and they all lead to the same paradise. And the idols shall utterly pass away. People will destroy all these false idols that they are worshiping, all of these gongs and bowls and and rocks and stones and crystals will all be gone. And people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of Yahweh and from the splendor of his majesty when he arises to terrify the earth. What terrorizes the earth is seeing a holy God as he truly is. And all the people who have made jokes about God, made jokes about Christ, made jokes about Christians, and thought it was all so funny, when they see his glory, they won't be laughing anymore. When they see just how amazing and terrifying God's presence is, there will be no laughter People will flee because they will say to themselves, Oh, what have I done? What mistake have I made? What stupidity has spilled out of my mouth? There were many Old Testament saints who would say, My mouth has spoken words that my brain didn't even understand. I am so sorry, God. I had no idea what I was saying. And many on that day will say it as well. The final reference I want you to look at is Jude 1. 14 and 15. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude, so it's Jude 1, but it's verses 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. See, we have no record of Enoch saying that outside of the book of Jude. It is believed that some of the, the teachings, some of the statements of Enoch were written down. We don't know where they are. We don't know what happened to them. We know there is a book called the, the book of Enoch. Uh, many people believe it is false. It has come a much later time. But apparently we have this one statement from Enoch, the one who walked with God, who walked and was no more. And it's basically this. Behold, the Lord is coming, and he is bringing judgment. So, church, as we go forward from this point, uh, it's not going to be pretty. 
We have seen the four horsemen ride. We have seen their connectedness. We know what they bring with each other, and we know they prepare a world for a great usurper, a great liar, a great diplomat, one who will subdue the world with lies. And we're going to see those lies in the chapters to come. Until then, I bid you a good day. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he strengthen you. May he cause you to see what's actually happening in the world. Because church, there's not a lot of time left. And I beg you, by the mercy of Christ, tell those you know that the time is short. And now is the appointed hour to accept Christ. Thank you for joining us today on Words from the Wildwood. We are a listener-supported program presented without commercial interruption. If you have enjoyed this program and want to support our outreach, please send any gifts to Richard Stidham, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77521. Thank you for listening today. God bless, and we will see you again in the Wildwood.